Good evening. Good to see you all. As uh, advertised, we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 35. If you want to find it in your books, or it will other, if you, if you find it in your Bible, or it will come up on the screen. It's one of those great, uh, uplifting chapters that we find in, in Scripture. So uh, let's uh, read it together. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap, leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground, ground the bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beasts get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Amen? I'll sit down then. Let's uh, just have a word of prayer. Father God, we just, just ask your Holy Spirit now to come and move amongst us. Lord, as we turn to your word, we, we know, Lord, that your word does not return empty. Lord, that it has a purpose and you want to speak to us tonight. And Father, just pray that you will just open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. It is indeed a, a wonderful passage. When uh, last week Val and I were out uh, for lunch, and she said to me, "What what passage you're preaching on next week?" And I uh, we were sitting there in the restaurant, and I just started to sing. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. And she joined in. And everlasting joy will be upon their heads. Remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> Some of us. I didn't, uh, I didn't look around to see if anybody in the, in the restaurant, uh, I say restaurant, it's a fish and chip shop really. Uh, <laughs> I know how to treat a girl. Um, I didn't look to see if anybody was watching or listening, but it was fun. 
It is the kind of passage that uh, really encourages us. And uh, sometimes we need that, don't we? If uh, you've been uh, following, uh, following us through this time of uh, going through Isaiah, um, sometimes it's been difficult. I think Phil and I were talking last night, I think the word attritional was the word you used, wasn't it? Sometimes it's really, really quite hard. Um, but just occasionally, as you go through Isaiah, you come across these wonderful sort of oases of, uh, of, of joy and, and of hope. Um, I think last week, uh, Phil was uh, talking about uh, the woes. Was it six woes? Six, woes six, hope one, hope wins. And chapter 35 is what it looks like when hope wins. In the midst of the woes, He's held out that hope of salvation and as Isaiah says, when that happens, this is what he looks like. When salvation becomes a reality, this is what it looks like. The desert, the parched land, the wilderness, shout for joy. Shout for joy. The first uh, chapters, they probably didn't tell, we didn't, probably didn't tell you this, but the first 39 chapters from 1 to 39 of Isaiah are known as the book of judgment. God's people are called to account, quite rightly so. But of course, our God is not just a God of justice and judgment. He's also a God of love, of mercy and salvation. And here we have in chapter 35, the beginning of the translation, transition into the next section of Isaiah, which begins in chapter 40. It's called the Book of Comfort. Not least because, as we will find out, chapter 40 begins those words, Comfort, comfort my people. Now we might think, well, why, why, why do we go through chapters 1 to 39 then if it's so hard? And sometimes we, we, we would like to have salvation without judgment. We'd like to have heaven without hell. But the biblical narrative doesn't allow us to do that. It tells us that, to us and the people of Israel and Judah, that amidst judgment, invasion and exile... God is at work. Again, we found that theme, haven't we, all the way through Isaiah. Isaiah's great passion is that people know that whatever's going on, God is at work, whether it's in judgment, whether it's in salvation, God is at work. God never lets them go. And God has a plan, a plan for salvation and a purpose for the future of his people that comes to reality in Jesus. And again, time and again through the book, through his prophecies, Isaiah points to Jesus, the purpose of God. Here in chapter 5, we have Isaiah looking beyond the current situation of Isaiah and Judah, and not looking just for the return from exile, but beyond that. We are told of everlasting salvation and everlasting joy. This is clearly not just about the time when Israel will return to Jerusalem, but a time when God will act in finality. If we just go back one chapter, in chapter 34, we're told of the final judgment. Isaiah prophesies the final judgment. And Jesus quotes from that pas- those passages, those verses, in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, when he talks about his return, when he will come again. But then in chapter 35, we have this picture of the final salvation. And what a wonderful picture it is. 
And as I said, there's the underlying theme of joy right through it. The wilderness will rejoice. Creation will shout for joy. The lame will leap like a deer. The thirsty ground will become bubbling springs. And the people will be singing. And everlasting joy will crown their heads. And we need to take hold of that everlasting joy. The kingdom of God is here. And if you know Jesus, we are the ransomed and redeemed people of God. And everlasting joy will crown our heads. That's a wonderful message of joy. But sometimes I wonder if if we don't quite bear witness to that. There's a a story of a man at the beginning of the, the last century who was setting sail for a new life in America. And after paying his fare, he had just a little bit of money left and he decided that he would save as much as he could on food during the trip in order to have as much money as possible when he gets to America. So before he boarded his ship, he went to a shop and he bought some cheese and he bought some biscuits. And he thought he was going to be able to live on those through the trip. But as the voyage progressed, the the sea air got to his cheese and his biscuits became a little bit damp. And so he began to get really hungry. And the last straw came when uh, one of the stewards walked past him with a tray of food going to another, uh, another of the, uh, the people on the, on the boat. And he could smell probably roast chicken or something. And he, and he was so hungry, he thought, I, I've, got, I've got to do something. I've, even if I spend just a few bits, a few pennies of, of what I've got, I've got to to have a a square meal. And so when the steward came back, he said to him, "Um, how much does it cost to go into the dining room and get a dinner? And the steward said to the man, have you got a ticket for the voyage? And he said, yes, here's my ticket. And the steward said, did you not know that the meals come included with the ticket? The poor man could have saved all that money on the money on the bread and the, the, the biscuits. And he could have been going in and having a feast every day. And sometimes I think we're a bit like that, aren't we? We bought the ticket, but we don't realise all that comes with it. This everlasting joy, because we are the ransomed, redeemed people of God. Sometimes when you think about that everlasting joy, look at the church and you wouldn't, you wouldn't get it, would you? There's a, another story of a man who joined a, a mission in the, in the city and uh, to help the homeless. And he was asked by the person who led the mission, go out on the streets and get, get the homeless people to come in. And he was a very serious man. And he would go up to people in a very serious tone, inviting them uh, to come in uh, into the mission. And, and they would ignore him. And, uh, and he kept asking, Seriously, would, would you like to come? Uh, finally, one man responded as he asked somewhat seriously, Brother, would you like to come into the mission? And the man looked at him and said, No thanks, I've got enough trouble of my own. <laughs> Sometimes people would look at us and say, well, Where's the joy? What have, what's attracting me to this? There's a, there's a wonderful story about uh, the, the great reformer, Martin Luther. He was known as a man... Uh, who could get a bit gloomy, especially in his old age. And there's, a, I don't know, it's probably an apocryphal story, but one day his wife uh, went into his study dressed in black. 
And uh, Martin said to her, who's, who's died? And, and she said, God has. And he said, my dear, what makes you think that? He said, well, because I just assumed it, because you're so gloomy. Yes, there are times when we need to be serious and earnest. But if we want to be a people who truly witness to the truth of the gospel, if we want to witness to the fact that it actually changes us, we must be people of joy. The joy of the Lord is in us. We have the joy of being the redeemed people of God, the ransomed and redeemed. The Bible tells us he gives us all things. In Christ we have all things. And that includes joy. Now I suspect part of the problem is, you know, some, sometimes we don't feel very joyful because we can find everyday life a bit of a struggle, can't we? We struggle when we pray and things seem not to happen. We struggle when disaster falls, when, when we watch the news and we see things that are like the things that have happened just in the last 24 hours. When disaster falls on people we love and, and things happen and things go wrong. When we pray for healing but people still suffer, even die. When the enemy seems to cause havoc amongst us, in people's lives and in the church. And it's very easy to allow these things to rob us of our joy. But Isaiah tells us that while we must acknowledge present reality, we need to know that it's not eternal reality. It's not eternal truth. And perhaps this passage can help us with some important principles to help us. First of all, Isaiah tells us that the road to everlasting joy goes through the wilderness and the desert. He starts off, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The desert can be a dangerous place. I don't know whether many of us have ever been there. But it's an arid place, a, a dry place. The most water, the most basic ingredient of life is in short supply. It's a, a theme that runs through scripture. Israel, tested in the desert for 40 years. Jesus, tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days. On their return, the Israelites, in their return to Jerusalem from captivity in Babylon, would have had to make a long and difficult journey through the desert wilderness. It says that the desert and the wilderness are part of life. And yet, the joy of the Lord burst forth from the desert, from the wilderness. Isaiah tells us that the path to everlasting joy often winds through the desert, where we experience times of testing, where there is pain, where there is grief, where there is sadness. We live in a broken, sinful and corrupted world. There's no getting away from it. If we want to get to where we want to be, we have to cross the desert. But God doesn't abandon us in the desert. The good news is that God makes the desert bloom. 
desert is where, as I say, where rain almost never falls. Places that we know like the Sahara. As I say, dull, dry, lifeless. But to completely transform a desert, all you need is one thing. Water. And to transform our deserts, our wilderness, we only need one thing, and that's the Spirit of God. What once was a desert can bloom, and God brings new life in abundance. Our situation in life might not have changed. After all, we're still in the desert of present reality. But here, by the grace of God, even the desert becomes something beautiful. Here we can learn to trust God for everything we need. Isaiah says the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. In verse 6 he says, Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become like a pool, the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. We are reminded that there is joy in the desert and in the wilderness because the truth is, present reality is not eternal reality. And when we live by that eternal perspective, God transforms it with his joy. The second thing that Isaiah tells us is that God gives strength for that journey. In the Gospel of Matthew 11, we meet the discouraged and uh, dejected John the Baptist. Herod had thrown him into prison. He knew his life was in danger and his days were numbered. And he is patiently waiting for God to do something. But his patience is being tested. Whether he was experiencing doubt himself, we don't know. Or whether he was just concerned about his followers... He nevertheless sent them to Jesus to say, are you the one? Or should we look, expect someone else? The one who had said, behold the Lamb of God, now asks, are you the one? And what does Jesus do? He, the words he reflects, the word he sends back, reflects the words that we have in this, this chapter, among others. He tells them, to tell John what they see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. This was good news. Even though John would not be released from Herod's prison, the kingdom of God was advancing. Jesus was on his way, on his way to the cross, where his death and resurrection would mean those who remain faithful be set free from the prison of sin and death forever. The writer of Hebrews quotes from this prophecy in chapter 12 that reads, Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. A few of us struggle with our weak knees. In the context of talking about how sin can entangle us and slow us down. And he tells us about the things that we can do to encourage us, to to strengthen our feeble arms and our weak knees. tells us to, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Notice that word? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
Isaiah encourages us to live in expectation of victory. John the Baptist, he just wanted to, to again hear it. To have his expectation encouraged again. The expectation of victory that the kingdom of God was at hand. The expectation of victory that we should live in the power of that. To strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. Hear that? Your God will come. Your God will come. Not might come. Not maybe will come. Not if he's got time, he'll perhaps pop in. But God will come. And we are to live in the expectation of that victory. God will will come. We know this side of the cross that he has come and through the death and resurrection has brought victory over Satan's sin and death. Hallelujah. There's a story of uh, a conversation between two Christians where one says to the other, how are you? And the other one says, well, okay, under the circumstances. And the other one says, what are you doing under the circumstances. What are you doing under the circumstances? We are to live in the expectation of a God who comes to save us. We are to live with the expectation of victory and in the power of that victory gives us strength for the journey and that's what strengthens our feeble hands and steadies our shaking knees. And thirdly, whatever the journey we're on, God gives us joy for that journey. We probably don't think quite about journeys in the same way that uh, uh, Isaiah would have thought of them. Many of us have travelled long distances. I was quite struck by the photograph this morning of the the guys in India, how fresh they looked, (laughs) given how far they travelled. Isaiah describes a highway where people can travel in peace and safety. And a highway will be there, he says, it will be called a way of holiness. It will be for those who walk that way. And a bit that really speaks to me. No lion will be there. No ferocious beasts will get upon it. They will not be found there. Whenever I uh, read that verse, I am uh, particularly, I particularly remember when I was a child. We had a family outing to Windsor Safari Park. Remember Windsor Safari Park? And we travelled in through the, through the lion's enclosure. And after a few minutes, there was smoke coming from under the bonnet. And my dad realised that the engine had overheated and we had to stop in the middle of the lion's enclosure. Six of us in this car, in the middle of the lion's enclosure. The, the park bus came past and my dad opened the window about that much and shouted through and the bus driver said, well, I'll, when I get back, I'll send some help. Two hours we were sitting there and the lions got closer and closer. Some of them, as they walked, sort of literally uh, walked past the car. 
touching the car. One, one Peter five eight comes to mind. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Thankfully, on this road there are no lions. On this road there is that sound, the sound of joyful singing. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Why is there joy? Romans 5 tells us why, it gives us several reasons for joy. We're forgiven, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have eternal life in heaven. We rejoice now in our sufferings, even though through them God produces perseverance, hope and character. We are the redeemed, ransomed people of God. Jesus was a a serious man, and we're told in Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He grieved over Jerusalem. And Jesus wept. He wept to the death of his friend Lazarus, But he could also laugh and smile and enjoy the presence of people, even small children. Always great if you can rejoice over small children. When he gave the... He wanted his disciples to have joy. He gave them the commandment to love one another. He said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. Love one another so that my joy may be in you. Jesus was a joyful person. I bet he was great fun to be around. And sometimes when he says things, you can just imagine him sort of, he's got, almost got his tongue in his cheek, you know, trying to, trying to make people laugh. He told stories about joy. Three of his most famous parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, are all about joy and celebration. In heaven over one sinner who repents. And if ever there is a place for the expression of joy, it's in the life of God's people. Because we are the ransomed and redeemed people of God. Isaiah tells us to be a people of joy, knowing the wilderness is transformed, the victory is won, and we journey as God's people with his deep and life-giving joy. If we can't rejoice when we hear the wonderful news of what Jesus has done for us, we'll, when can we rejoice? We know that heaven will be filled with joyful singing. So why not start now? Isaiah tells us that in Christ we have the joy of someone who is thirsty, finding a spring in the desert. In Christ we have the joy of someone being blind, being able to see, someone deaf, being able to hear, someone lame, being able to jump, and someone mute, being able to shout. In Christ we have the joy of a prisoner set free, a captive on his way back home. In Christ, even when life is at its worst, Isaiah says we still have the joy of God's wonderful, amazing grace. Hallelujah. Let's uh, just pause.
in a moment we're going to share 